Amen, church family. And uh, I invite you to open up your Bibles uh, to the book of Romans. And we're going to have a kind of a hiatus from our, our gospel series in Matthew. We actually won't pick that back up till August when we get back because next Sunday uh, we're going to start our summer series and we're going to look at the life of David, myself, Pastor Brian, Pastor Chris will be preaching uh, throughout the summer, breaking that up. Um, and so I thought today it'd be good for us, in light of um, our plans for regathering next Sunday, to, to think about that um, biblically and how we can best do that and what principles should guide us in light of the circumstances we are in. And so the title of today's sermon is Christian Harmony, an Appeal for Unity in a Pandemic. Now, don't get any ideas that I haven't seen any real division in our church uh, over these matters, but... But I know that there's going to be temptation, and, and, and that's something probably all of us are going to face. And so I thought it'd be good for us to uh, go and address this matter and, and, in a sense, encourage us uh, to maintain the unity uh, that we have and enjoy as we get ready to gather uh, in person uh, starting next Sunday. And we're going to actually be looking at both chapters 14 and 15, but for right now I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 from chapter 15 of Romans. So Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Here are the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul. Paul writes to us and he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. One of the primary desires of our Lord for his church is that we should be unified, that we should be in harmony. In fact, this was Jesus' prayer before he was going to the cross, in John chapter 17, he prays to the Father that they may all be one. And so this is why uh, you see continual exhortations for the church throughout the epistles, say from Paul to the church in Ephesus, to bear with one another and to be uh, eager in maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's on this basis of unity that the Apostle Paul rebukes the church in Corinth for their divisions, and he, he asks them sarcastically, is Christ divided? And of course not. Christ isn't divided, so neither should we. And again, he exhorts the saints in the church in Philippi to agree in the Lord. And those are just a sampling of, of texts that exhort the body of Christ, the, the church, to be in unity together in the Lord. And, and the reason for these exhortations throughout Scripture is because one of the main schemes of the evil one 
is to create division in the church. So if Christ's primary desire for the church is unity, well then the evil one's primary aim is to go against that desire, to create dysfunction and, and division in the church. And so where Satan cannot infiltrate the church through false teaching, the evil one aims to derail the church through uh, foolish controversies and quarrels over opinions. In fact, he, he seeks to get us to consider ourselves as more important than others. And in doing so, our, our love begins to grow cold. And the church can go to such a sad state that it begins to devour itself. Now let me say, I, I do not see us in that sad state. I, I am calling us to maintain, as Paul tells the church in Ephesus, to maintain the spirit of unity and the bond of peace that we no doubt enjoy. But these are different circumstances we're in, and I think uh, in, in light of the circumstances and, 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 and the things that we're going to have to do, church is going to be a little bit different. We've already experienced that right now through internet and live streaming, but even as we gather, things are not going to be quite the same, and, and the evil one could be seeking a way to get a foothold in, in the good things that the Lord is doing in this church. And so I want to encourage us to strive to live in harmony with one another, especially during this COVID-19 crisis, as, as no doubt many of us have various opinions about the threat level of this crisis, if it's a crisis at all, and over what we should do about it. And so I think this is a good reminder for us at this time as there's certainly no shortage of opinions concerning the coronavirus. I'm, I'm sure for some of us, uh, we think that this uh, maybe is a great overreaction. And maybe perhaps some of us are, are buying into conspiracy theories, thinking, oh, this is a great uh, conspiracy against America or even the church. Whereas others among us are, are, are going to be on a different perspective or, or spectrum and convinced that the, the quarantining and all the social distancing measures, they were a good thing. They were they are exactly what we should do. And maybe there's even some more who says ah, that they think we should have done more than what we're doing. Maybe concern that, that reopening isn't the right call right now. And so you can, you, you can probably guess that we are on, on a vast array of spectrums here even at Oak Park, as to what's going on and what we should do. And, and just add to that, there's going to be more conversations going on as, as America seeks to open and, and the world begins to open. And, and there's going to be differing opinions on vaccines. Should we take them or should we not? What pace should states open? There's going to be debates that are happening right now. Should we wear masks? Are they good for you? Are they detrimental to you? Uh, there's going to be questions over, uh, is religious liberty being threatened, and, 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 and whether it's not. Well, my aim this morning is not to share my opinion. I, I rest assured, I have them too. I have opinions about all these things, but that's not my goal to share those or try to convince you of them this morning. Rather, I have a different aim, and I've already alluded to it. As the world is increasingly polarized over anything and especially this corona crisis, I want to help us think carefully. I want us to, to think biblically as to how we should respond, and specifically, how can we be a light shining in the midst of the dark chaos that is 
going on. And so as we seek to gather again next Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., I want just to think about this. We have an incredible opportunity to put on display the beautiful unity, joy, and love of the kingdom of God. We get to show the world, while having probably different opinions about how we're doing things or what's going on, oh, that our unity isn't found in those things. It's actually found in someone greater. It is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in so doing, as the world watches us in the coming weeks and months, as we navigate this crisis, it's my prayer. I am pleading with the Lord that as people look at Oak Park, they would see the beauty of a kingdom, of the kingdom. They would see a kingdom marked by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to press upon us today is that for the world to see this, this isn't requiring us to be uniform in our opinions on these matters. In fact, that's precisely the point. We won't be. And yet, the world can marvel, who cannot agree on anything, that these believers can disagree and yet love one another and be in unity and harmony with one another. They can be, as Paul says in verses 5 through 6, see a church living in harmony with one another, in accord with Christ, so that with one voice we may glorify Him and our Heavenly Father. We're to live in harmony with one another despite our differences of opinion. So I want to appeal to us to cultivate this morning four essential virtues for living in Christian harmony. Four essential virtues. That's, that's how I'm going to appeal to us to live in this pandemic, in this crisis, and have Christian harmony. There's four virtues that I want us to cultivate so that we may be unified together and magnify the beauty of Christ to a watching world. That's what I want to, us, want to appeal, us, appeal to you with today. And to do that, we're going to be looking at these virtues from Romans 14 and 15. I'm going to be drawing these out. And here's the four virtues. Number one, humility. Number two, faith. Number three, love. And number four, grace. Humility, faith, love, grace. And grace. And that's what the Apostle Paul appeals to the church in Rome and some of their differences, some of their quarrels. And so I want us to begin by recognizing that Christian harmony requires humility. This is going to require humility. And so here in our passage, Paul raises two issues that were plaguing the church in Rome. A conflict was, was occurring in their church. And if you're familiar with this passage, you know that the two matters were these. Number one, there was a conflict over what was okay to eat, and another conflict over certain days, such as the Sabbath, should, should activities occur on Saturday. That was the issue that is um, going on. And Paul brings up the first one in verse 2. He says, one person believes, chapter 14, verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables and so here what, what's paul addressing he's he's addressing the cultural conflict that's occurring between gentiles that's non-jewish jewish people and then the jewish people 
So the Jews had certain laws about what foods they could eat, particularly in a foreign land. You might think of the, uh, the story of Daniel when he's before the king, and, and they ask for vegetables. And so that's what's going on here. And, and then you've got the other half of your church, or maybe the dominant side of your church, who, who's fine to eat the meats, and these meats that were no doubt sacrificed in the temples. And so just imagine what problems would occur in trying to, uh, to get the church together when they can't even agree on what's okay to eat or drink. We would have the same thing if we were talking about alcohol. There's different opinions on that, and it can cause great division. Well, in the same way, there's another dispute, this dispute over the Sabbath. You see that in verse 5. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. You've got two different views on this. And so in both matters, the church was made up of people, now get this, whose consciences, whose convictions were informed differently. They had different beliefs on these things. And Paul then categorizes the two groups in, in this way, one as weak and one as strong. And what he's talking about is in terms of their faith. One is weak in faith, not understanding biblical principles, and the other one is more experienced, more strong in their faith. Well, our situation in some ways is the same, but in, in, in many other respects, it's, it's different. It's different. It's the same in that there are differing opinions about how to handle this crisis, what we should do, and how we should react. But, but where it's different is it's not so clear who's walking in strong faith and who's in weak faith. It's not so cut and dry. In the church in Rome, there's a clear answer, and Paul will side with the strong, and, and he will say, actually, all foods are clean. And actually, the Sabbath's been fulfilled in Christ, and we don't, we're not bound by the Sabbath laws anymore. And he'll, he'll take a side on that. Yet, Paul, though there are a clear right and wrong answer to these theological questions that they're debating, Paul will still appeal to them to defer to one another and live in harmony and in unity. And so here's what I want us to see here. Our situation isn't as cut and dry. It's not simply, okay, let's look at the biblical evidence and on, on whether to wear a mask or not. There's no biblical evidence on that specific question. And yet, if Paul can... can instruct these believers where there is a clear right and wrong answer to the question, and he can exhort them to defer to one another, live in harmony, act in humility to one another, how much more should we when the situation is less clear? How much more should we live in harmony and in peace despite our strong opinions? No doubt they exist. In other words, we're going to have to exercise a great degree of humility, recognizing that our position, think about yourself here, our position, your position concerning the threat level of COVID-19 and the appropriate response to it is not biblically mandated. There's no, you shall do this. Furthermore, here's another thing I think we need to keep in mind. None of us are fully in the know. None of us are. We're not fully in the know of how dangerous this virus is 
or what's the proper um, protocols to mitigate the threat. None of us fully know. None of us in this room will know. And there's so much information, isn't there? I mean, just a plethora of information streams going out and and things that we heard last week are contradicted this week and and all sorts of things. And here's kind of the point that I I want us to to see. Just because you can find a video of a so-called expert who sides with you doesn't mean that you're in the right. All of us can do that. All of us can find the person who looks like they have their credentials and can tell us we're in the right, and, and then we can find someone who contradicts them. And my point is that we need to exercise great humility. There is not clarity on this. We're not in the know. We're not in the inner circles. And chances are we never will be. And even then, we may not know the full extent of that. We are living right now in some uncertain times, and I want to exhort us to recognize that and be humble about our views. Don't come off as know-it-alls, because we don't know it all. And so in this case, what's humility going to look like? Well, I think, first of all, it's admitting. You need to admit that your opinion or conclusion may be wrong. You may be wrong about your perception of COVID-19, no matter where you are on the spectrum, no matter where you are. It's going to take time to find out really what the threat level is. Did we make the right decisions? It's going to just take time. And even then, we may look back on this and say, we don't know what happened. And so that needs to be a first element. We need to admit we might be wrong. Secondly, humility is going to keep us from pridefully And this is what Paul addresses here in verse 3. Pridefully despising or judging another based on their opinion. That can happen to us. And that's that's where I want us to really think about Look at verse 3. Paul says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. This means that when we begin to gather and interact more with one another, those of us who think that all the precautions are silly, we're not to despise and mock those who take them seriously. We're not to do that. And on the other side, if you're looking at people who, who don't wear masks and they, they haven't been social distancing and, and they're, they're just living as if nothing's really changed. You don't need to be building bitterness in your heart towards them and and condemning them and and thinking that they're just this awful human being just because they hold a different opinion. I want us to realize, and I think we know this, one's position on this whole pandemic isn't a test of fellowship. Amen? Amen? One's position, one's opinion isn't a test of of fellowship. Why? Because he's already welcomed us. God has already welcomed us in Christ. Praise God that our opinions aren't determinative of our standing before God. Isn't that freeing? That's good news. My opinions, which could be wrong, aren't determinative of my standing before God. 
Because what's determinative is my faith in Christ. That's what's determinative. And if we remember that about ourselves, well, guess what? We're going to show great humility toward one another. And so this is the first virtue that we must continue to cultivate. And, and, and I think maybe the Lord will use um, this to, to do this to a greater degree. Build in humility. I, I, I've begun to start wearing a mask in uh, some of the stores. And the first few times, and, and still this is true now, there is a degree of, for me at least, I, I feel feel silly. I feel like, oh, this is, it's humbling. It is absolutely humbling. I'm embarrassed to wear it. But you know what? I, I've said, Lord, I, I know that, there, that, that I don't want, for instance, how I'm thinking of this, I don't want anybody to say, well, there's a pastor at Oak Park and he doesn't give a rip about anybody. And so I'm putting it on. That's just one of the reasons that I do it. And it's been humbling and it's actually been good for my soul just to be humbled there. And so I think that's one area that we, the Lord may grow us in greater humility. The second virtue that we're going to need to cultivate is faith. And what I mean by that is what Paul speaks of here in verse 6 of honoring the Lord. Being convinced that you are actually honoring the Lord in how you're fashioning your opinions and how you're living out your life. And basically what Paul is pushing the church in Rome, and by extension us, is that regarding matters of opinion and, and, and difference, he says, instead of being so worried about convincing other peoples of your position, even if you are right, for argument's sake, instead, everyone needs to be more worried about, see what he says in verse 5, that each one of you should be fully convinced in his own mind about your view. That's what he's saying. Be more convinced, be more sure about yourself than you are others. And, and convinced of what? Well, Paul goes on to speak of whether one's conviction, one's opinion about a particular matter is actually biblically informed. What your opinion is, 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 is the Bible had any forming in you in that? Are you sure that what you're thinking and doing is honoring to the Lord? Now, you might immediately say, hold on, Chase, you just told us. The Bible doesn't speak to this matter of masks and, and social distancing and other um, matters that are affecting us in this um, pandemic. So, so how are we supposed to do that? Well, you're right. The, the Bible doesn't speak about protocols and pandemics, nor does it give us insight on the true threat of this particular virus. It doesn't tell us. But, brothers and sisters, there are principles, biblical principles given to us, for instance, about how to honor the governing authorities, Roman 13. And even there, there's going to be differences. How do we do that in those circumstances? But are you thinking through that? Are you actually thinking, how do I Submit to Romans 13. How do, how do we do that? Well, two, there's, there's principles about trusting in God's provision in life, Matthew 6. There's principles about how to love your neighbor, Matthew 29, 30, 22, 39. There's principles about bearing a faithful witness to the gospel in the world, 1 Corinthians 9. And so what I want you to consider this morning as you come to whatever conclusion you do about this, 
And how you're going to respond, here's the question that I want you to consider. Are you first and foremost seeking how to best honor the Lord and walk in His wisdom? Is that what you're mainly concerned about? How to best honor the Lord and walk in His wisdom? Or are you primarily consumed with self-interest, political leanings, fear? Are you more consumed by those things and you haven't even for once thought about, what would the Lord want me to think about this? To put it another way, are you seeking to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ through this? Or are you being more discipled by your preferred news outlet? Where, where are you getting shaped? Who is shaping you? And you can answer that question, well, who am I spending the most time with? Who am I listening to the most? Here in this passage, God's Word is calling us to be convinced that we're living in such a way that brings honor to the Lord. And get this, we will all do that and still reach different conclusions about these things. But those conclusions are going to arise out of a heart that is seeking to trust and be faithful to the Lord. Look at verse 23. What does Paul remind us? He says, For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And really what he's laying before us is, regardless of where you stand, whatever your conclusion is on what's the best practices or threat level of this. He says, regardless of whether you're right or whether you're wrong, if you have reached your conclusions apart from faith, you are in sin. So what does that look like for you? Are you walking by faith or walking by sight? Are you wise in the things of the world and ignorant of the wisdom of God? And we be more ignorant of the ways of the world and more wise of the, the ways of God. Faith is seeking to understand God's will in all circumstances so that what? So that you're no longer transformed or conformed by this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may understand and discern what is good, acceptable, and right in God's eyes. And that's not always easy. That's why we have to have humility and we come and we're seeking the Lord by faith. Because as we read here in Romans 14, 7, look, look at what Paul says. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Now, what is he, what is he getting at here? You aren't your own if you're a Christian. Christ owns you. In fact, he owns you in life, and guess what? He owns you in death as well. Your whole life is owned by the lordship of Christ, not these other things. And he reminds us in, in verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You won't give an account for anybody else but yourself before God. But here's the wonderful news about this scenario, about this situation. You and I can walk by faith in Christ and be completely wrong about the coronavirus. We can walk by faith in Christ and be 
just bonkers wrong. It will depend on how you approached it. Will you be commended by the Lord or will you be rebuked? So make sure that you're walking in faith with your Savior. Who cares about the other things? And this virtue of faith naturally leads us to the third one, the virtue of love. Because if we're seeking to live and respond to this pandemic, which is none of us have experienced anything like this, if we're seeking to honor the Lord in how we're navigating this, even though it feels like, goodness, like we are in a fog, I cannot see when's this going to end. Oh, it looked like that was the way to go down, and then we were just told just hours ago, actually, you can't do that. And it's constantly changing. It's uncertain. Nevertheless, as we continue to live and walk forward, are we, are we seeking by faith to honor the Lord? Paul says that when we are, verse 13, we'll decide, I like that, verse 13, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother and sister. Walking in faith will actually lead to walking in love. Lord, what would best honor you? That you love your neighbor. Oh, that's what I'm most concerned. I want to bring honor and glory to you. And you love your people. So I want to now love them. And so because of this, because I'm now seeking to be faithful and honor you, I'm no longer going to pass judgment on on another. But rather, it's actually the same word. I'm not going to pass judgment on another, verse 12, but rather judge never to stumble or cause someone to stumble. It's a decision. You can either make a decision, I'm going to oppose that person who disagrees with me, or I'm going to make the decision that I'm not going to put anything that would cause them to stumble. And this is where we get really practical, I think, for us in this situation. Paul says, in light of your trust in Christ... Decide, verse 15, that you will not do anything to destroy the one for whom Christ died. Decide, verse 16, not to let what you regard as good. I assume we all think our views are good, right? That's righteous. That's good. That's right. That's that's helpful. That's safe. He says, well, then decide not to let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, verse 16. Verse 20, decide not to destroy the work of God for the sake of your rights or your liberty. And perhaps that last exhortation in verse 20 is is maybe what most uh, will be our temptation to, to maybe buck up against and maybe most applicable to us. Sure, we, we have rights, don't we? We have liberty here, in this, both as Christians, but even here in, in this country. We have rights, and right now, being restricted, aren't they? We're going to even ask you, when you come here on next Sunday, we're asking you to, to restrict yourself. And there's going to be this tendency to say, I'm not doing that. that, 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 that uh, you're not going to tell me what to do. There's a little bit of that rebellion in all of us, isn't there? And yet, Paul's telling us, I don't want to lift up my rights in such a way that I would destroy someone else because of my view 
my opinion here. And so there, there might be the temptation next Sunday for some of us to come here and be indifferent to the social distancing guidelines. And so some of you might not be planning to wear a mask, for instance, or keep proper social distancing between family units. You're, you're going to come, I'm hugging people. I haven't seen people in a while. I'm not wearing that mask because got whatever the reasons may be. And maybe you're saying, oh, this is infringing upon my, my rights or, or whatever it may be. Here, here's what I want you to consider. That's fine if you think those things. But there are some other brothers and sisters in this church who don't think that. There are some other brothers and sisters that, that are wanting to follow those guidelines, that are wanting to wear the mask, who, who don't really feel like their religious liberty is being uh, infringed upon, though it, it is being restricted in some ways right now. Some are afraid of this, where some are not. And if, if one of us comes in here insisting on our own liberty, insisting on our opinion, our perspective on it, you're basically going to try and make everybody conform. I mean, this is going to force you to make decisions. And what Paul is telling us, what more importantly, what God is telling us through his word is that to do so would not be to walk in love. But actually, you may very well be opposing the work of God in another person's life. Look at verse 15. For if your brother, you can throw in sister here too, is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. Now our situation isn't the food one, right? But throw in there, if your brother or sister is grieved by your lack of social distancing, think of, throw that in there, then what? You are no longer walking in love, especially if you're hearing this and you decide to do this on purpose. <laughs> Maybe some, of, some people have no clue, and they're going to come in here, and I didn't get the, the memo. You know what? We want to be gracious. But if you know, then you're no longer walking in love if you decide otherwise. Why? Because, because it's not showing a real concern for the well-being and peace of mind of another person who thinks very differently on this matter than you. And if some of us disregard these guidelines and think that they're unnecessary. And, and guess what? They may be. These protocols, this whole thing, let's, for argument's sake, may be a total overreaction. Let's just throw that in. It might be. But some people don't think so. So even if they were wrong, and I'm not saying, I'm not taking sides on that right now. I'm just, for argument's sake, even if that were the case, and other people are wrong, if we disregard them, you know what? People may never come back here. They may not be able to worship with us. And for this reason, we're, we're asking everyone to use their Christian liberty to limit themselves for the sake of their neighbor. That's actually what Christian liberty is. It's not to seek your own interest. It's actually you're free to seek the interest of another. Because you're not bound. 
And so then, when we cultivate the, the virtues of humility, faith, and love, guess what? You can begin to say, oh, the harmony of, of Christians, oh, yes, that will maintain, that will cause it to flourish. What an intoxicating environment to be in that the world would be jealous of when they see that kind of deference and care for one another. But there's another virtue that this is going to require, and that's the virtue of grace. And Paul concludes this appeal in chapter 15 to Christian unity by reminding us of the grace we have in Christ. He brings us all just so beautifully back to the cross and back to Christ. And he says, and he says this by looking at how Christ has poured out his favor on us so that we can learn how to do that towards others. Look at verse 1. He says, We who are strong have the obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So our situation, it's not clear who's weak and who's strong, meaning who's right and who's wrong. But um, our situation, I think, in reality, the strong, at least in perception, are those who have greater liberty, greater flexibility. That's what's going on here, if you, if you want to put it in most practical terms. The, there's one opinion that gives greater flexibility and one that gives greater restraint. Okay? And so while this exhortation is applicable to all of us, I think there is a greater onus, a greater responsibility to those who may have opinions that are, are more um, thinking this is an overreaction, corona. There's, there's a greater responsibility to that side of the group than there are those who are, in this case, fearful of what's going on, in whatever extent that that may be. There's a greater responsibility upon those less concerned about the virus to bear with those who are more concerned about it. Why? Because you who hold those positions have more flexibility in your life. You've got more options before you. Let's put it that way. Why? Because you're in the position to limit yourself for the sake of the other. You can limit yourself where the other person can't, has less opportunities to do that. You have the greatest, and, and here's the good news that Paul is making the point of, you have the greatest opportunity to actually imitate Christ in this situation. Now, the tables may be turned in a different situation, but in this one, where you land gives you more flexibility or less flexibility. If you're on the more flexibility side, you actually have a greater opportunity to serve your brothers and sisters. Why? Because look at what he says in verse 3. For Christ did not please himself. He's clearly the strong one. Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In other words, despite our failings, our limitations, our weaknesses, what's he talking about? Our sins. Jesus bore our burdens. He took them upon himself. Jesus, here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus comes to us. He condescends to us. He comes to us. He sees us in our helpless, our helpless state. 
He didn't come insisting on his rights of divine prerogatives, but instead he made himself a servant for us, being born in the likeness of human flesh, and he became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. And if you and I, brothers and sisters, understand the grace that Christ has extended to us, then how can we withhold such grace towards one another? Do you see that? To do so actually means you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand what Christ has done for you to insist on your rights when Christ didn't seek to please himself or insist on his. He sought to serve you. And so I want to encourage all of us to the extent that we're able to do that, that we come with a mindset cultivating that virtue of grace, that charity towards one another, that just as Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give himself, so as we've learned Christ, so that we would not come here to be served, but to serve and give ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Church family, I'm confident that we're going to do this well. I really am. I'm confident because I've seen the love that we have and it is abounding as a church. The sweetness that we have toward one another. I'm sure that we're anchored in God's word. We, we know the gospel. We love Christ. And I'm confident that his grace and love and mercy that has abounded toward us is going to abound through us to one another. I'm confident of that. Confident. And so it's my prayer, actually, that we would do these things all the more. Do what we're, we always have been doing and where God has always been growing us, and that in this time, that maybe the Lord is pushing these virtues and instilling them to us in a greater degree, in a way that we wouldn't have been able to do apart from Corona. Corona. 